What's up, everybody? How are you? I am just getting by. Aren't we all right now? Just living in this world of complete chaos and uncertainty. But we at least have this podcast and many other things that we're trying to hold on to of some consistency. I'm your host, Ray Harkins. You're listening to 100 Words or Less. And um, yeah, this is all about independent music, which is going through a complete and utter uh, change in ways that uh, I think many of us, you know, whatever, two, three months ago, never could have seen. I mean, we couldn't have seen any of this stuff happening, and it's uh, it's absolutely crazy. But let's we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. My guest this week is Nick DeSalvo from Elder. I am so incredibly excited to bring you this conversation, not only because Elder is a great, great band, and you should be checking them out immediately. If you're a fan of anything stoner, doom, prog, metal, anything in that wheelhouse, you absolutely have to find Elder and put them in your general rotation because um, once I discovered them, I just, uh, I think their Reflections of a Floating World was uh, definitely my top 10 or the year that it came out, I want to say 2017, but um, has regularly been in there. It's just a record that I can put on, and frankly, all of their music I can put on and just kind of zone out and, and ugh, so good. But anyways, Nick is the main person behind this this brainchild called Elder. He lives in Germany now, uh, works at a record label, and we were able to make this happen because they have a new record coming out uh, just very, very soon. You actually heard a, or you'll hear a little bit of a new single that they have uh, recently posted uh, before we do the interview, but just a great band. And Nick was a good conversation because, uh, you know, he comes from the sort of, you know, DIY world that we all come from, or at least most of us come from. If you're not coming from that world, totally fine. Thanks for checking this out. Um, but uh, anyways, that's uh, that's what we're going to be doing in a minute. People email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com, asking me how to support the show, whether it's like, oh, can I donate? And, you know, I'm like, uh, you know, you don't, you don't need to donate. Like, we're, we all are, are going through financial hardships right now, so I don't need money. But what I need from you is to share this show widely. You know, whether that's tagging the guest on social media, whether that's, you know, telling your friends about it, whether that's, you know, tweeting about it, whatever it is that you do when you find something you like to share, please do that for the show. That's the way that this thing gets on people's radars in which, or gets on the right people's radars that this should belong on. Because anybody that likes independent music, I think should have some sort of gravitational pull towards this and frankly, other like-minded podcasts that are out there. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I would request for you to do. And then obviously if you want to leave a review for the show on Apple podcasts or any of the other places in which you are downloading, uh, this particular show, I would appreciate that as well. And, um, yeah, I'm feeling just just feeling life right now in ways that like I'm, you know, my family's healthy. My wife and I have a job. <clears throat> there are many things that are going right in our life, but I can't help but wake up every single morning and be like, man, can I can I just like not do today? Like, can I just can I just like make it go away? And it's uh it's hard. It's really really hard. So I hope that you're finding your places to extract joy out of whether that's you know, the music you listen to, the movies you listen to or watch and the things that you consume or whether it's the people you're quarantined with or whoever it is or whatever it is you're extracting joy from, please keep doing that because really that's the only thing that is kind of, uh, you know, keeping many of us afloat and offer grace to everybody because man, we are all in need of that in heaps in ways that we probably haven't 
needed that before. So yeah, don't get mad at people. Just just do what you can to support and support the small businesses and bands and everything else that is hurting out there because uh, it's all really, really painful. So anyways, here's, uh, here's Nick and uh, I will talk to you at the end of the episode like I always do, teasing you what is happening on the show next week. So here's Nick and listen to this great track. I was aware of Elder when Laura came out, but it wasn't until Reflections that kind of, you know, really just brought me in. Um, and, you know, I, I'm a punk and hardcore kid. And then, you know, I started to get into the whole, you know, whatever stoner doom stuff when I was, you know, a little a little older in my whatever, my 20s as I worked at a record store here in Southern California. So, um, you know, because I know some punk and hardcore kids are resistant to other styles of music. <laughs> but uh-huh. um, the thing that kind of drew me in was the fact that you, um, you know, really seem to lean into the fact that you could obviously be, uh, you know, catchy and, you know, for lack of a better term, like poppy, but at the same time, like, you know, write 45 minute songs and like have no problem (laughs) existing in all of these different worlds. And it seems like that, that LP in particular was kind of a a big turning point for, you know, just the wide palette that you could personally, you know, uh, kind of write on. Um, and, and I'm sure just because, you know, since you've obviously been the, the consistent, uh, you know, and brainchild as it were behind elder, was it interesting to kind of see so many people start to, you know, I guess flock to the band uh, around that time? Um, just because, you know, you had been doing it obviously for, for quite some time. Um, you know, how did that kind of feel besides, I guess, good. Cause you know, that's always flattering, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, the whole thing, it was kind of like, I guess I've always felt like we've had a fair amount of luck, you know, right, right time, right place kind of thing for our music. And I feel like we really kind of stepped into a hole that was like just waiting to be filled by some band. Um, and I mean, not to discredit the the work that we did and all the shows we played and all the time we put into it, but it, it kind of, that was one of those moments where like, not that we like made it off of a record, but we, we had, I remember, you know, coming home with the mixes from the, from the recording session and listening to it and feeling like, yeah, like this is really good. And like, I think people are really going to like this. And I think people are going to appreciate that. And like people did like it and appreciate it. And there was kind of just, wasn't that I had any expectations, but, um, it did kind of feel like, uh, it was an album that would work well in the moment is if I don't know if that makes any sense, but yeah, no, I see what you're saying that that's a very interesting, uh, thought process. Cause I, you know, the idea of, you know, the time and the place and, you know, a lot of people in the creative arts kind of talk about that, you know, because it's like, (laughs) you know, we're all standing on the shoulders of giants and you could look at the bands that, you know, existed before you and, you know, you could just be like, dude, that band should have been, you know, not even so much like bigger, but just more recognized. And then, you know, another band comes in and fills the void, but it's a, it's all time, time and place and kind of hitting that moment. You're right. Totally. And I even mean like down to like the stupid circumstance of like, we, we had the fortune of starting the band and choosing like a good kind of catchy name before, 
before it was taken. Uh, yeah. I mean, of course, it actually, we came to find out it was taken by another band already, but, you know, we, we managed to get bigger quicker and therefore had the squatters rights or whatever. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, even to something as simple as like getting a good name, like nowadays that's harder than you'd think, you know? Oh, totally. I mean, I, I remember the, uh, you know, the debacle with, uh, you know, American nightmare, give up the ghost and stuff. And uh, like, that was the first time I really kind of considered, you know, bands like suing one another for, um, you know, that sort of name or whatever. And it's just a, yeah, but you're right. (laughs) Was it that give up the ghost became American nightmare or it well, American nightmare was obviously the hardcore band from the Boston area. Uh, but then there was another sort of like bar rock band that, you know, like they didn't tour or anything, but yeah. And so they had to like, but they actually had the copyright and stuff like that. And it was such a, uh, yeah. Okay. I guess the analogy in my world would be Yob some years ago had to go to Midian, uh, and before they were able to play as Yob again. Yeah, totally. Totally. And I remember I worked at uh, century media records for quite some time and we signed, uh, this band architects from, you know, the United kingdom. And there was an architects from Kansas city. And I remember them writing us. And I like, I I remember opening, cause this is when people still sent, well, I mean, people still legally send certified letters, but like (laughs) I opened the letter and I was like, Oh my gosh, like we have to like figure this out. And like, it was such a, yeah, but you're right. It's like having that good band name is, you know, something people don't think about when you're, you know, kind of starting the thing. Yeah. 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 Maybe I'm reading too much into that, but definitely, you know, like that's, that's like the dumb, the dumb first step to getting someone to listen to your music. Does it have like, you know, is it like gigantic, big wizard weed bong extravaganza, or is it like something that makes it's, you know, yeah, no, <laughs> that was not that was not a swipe at anyone in particular to make that clear. No, <laughs> but no, 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 for sure. Yeah, it well, I mean, that's and especially too, it's like when it is your, you know, first band or whatever you, uh, you know, whatever, if you're 16 or 17, you have no perspective. You're just being like, oh, whatever, man, that's a cool name. And then, you know, if that ends up being, you know, a successful music project and people are like, oh, yeah, like, you know, hate breed or whatever. It's like, what? hate breed like is that a good band name but like of course it is now <laughs> yeah yeah in, in retrospect you just know it you don't you don't question it <laughs> totally totally uh, well kind of you know backing up and putting the focal point on you um i know you were uh, you know kind of trying to pull some biographical stuff together where you know i know you were born in the uh like or you came up in the new bedford massachusetts area um and, you know, kind of walk me through your, um, I guess, you know, family structure, your, you know, I presume it was kind of a, a suburbanish lifestyle. Um, you know, walk me through what that kind of looked like for you. Yeah. Um, well, I definitely had a very classic um, nuclear family upbringing. I got an older brother and my mom and dad who are still together. And we kind of bounced a lot. I bounced around a bit as a kid before settling in New England. I was born in um, Ann Arbor, Michigan, and then we lived in suburbs of Portland, Oregon, and of Seattle, Washington, before finally moving over to the East Coast and settling there for at least the the latter part of my childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, yeah, we ended up in a community. Um, we ended up in a small town outside of New Bedford. And for anyone who's not from, you know, Massachusetts, New Bedford is just like a very mid-sized kind of port city. Um, used to be the whaling capital of the world back when, uh, you know, gaslit lanterns were a big thing. Right. And, uh, yeah, so that's, that's where we ended up and that's where I spent like my formative years for sure. Sure. 
And what uh, what facilitated to get the kind of you know jumping around and moving around? Was it you know your parents' careers and your parents' jobs? Yeah, my dad was like um, he had always kind of worked in, in tech related stuff, like computer companies back when that the like home computer industry is just getting started. Mm. And I think he that just he ended up taking kind of just going from job to job or where I'm not really even sure. And he's just always kind of like had one job after the other and always done something vague really related to that. I couldn't even tell you what the most of his jobs were. Yeah. So I don't know. My mom's just a school teacher. So, uh, yeah, or was a school teacher anyhow, but yeah, you know, just kind of like going where the opportunities took him and that was cool. I always appreciated that actually. Cause I, when we ended up in new England, it was like, you know, all the kids were look, looking at us wide, with wide eyes, like you move from, from, you came from where? Cause that's like a place where people don't move around a lot. It's very like, you know, old blood. People are proud to have their roots and like live there forever. So, uh, but I appreciate it. Definitely. I've seen, a, seen a couple places in my life before ending up uh, near New Bedford, Massachusetts. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, especially too, when you are coming from a place that, uh, you know, like, like you said, they, you know, a lot of people are, are, townies when it comes like connected to a lot of new England yeah. places and so for you to be like oh yeah you know i came from you know portland and then was in you know michigan and people are like wow like there's pl- there's there's places outside of here yeah yeah when you're a kid you don't you don't get that but when you come from a place where you're like yeah you, you end up in new england you're like where are all the mountains you know <laughs> <laughs> right yeah i don't see anything on the horizon yeah it's yeah. funny <laughs> so what age were you when you moved to new bedford or the new bedford area uh, I was pretty young still. I must have been, I don't know, probably no older than like 10 or 11, I think. Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. Um, yeah. And so you're, and what, what did your mom teach in school? Was she English teacher, math teacher? Um, she worked for the majority of her career in like special needs. So oh, like, you sure. know, kids who have learning disabilities or, or mental problems, stuff like that. Uh, um, cause she had worked in social work before then and got interested in teaching from there. Yeah, so always just kind of like, yeah, prop, could be kids with problems uh, at home, or it could be kids with actual, you know, mental disabilities. Sure, sure. No, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it, especially when you can draw the line between social work and then actually, you know, um, not only doing the sort of like clerical backroom stuff, but then being able to cross it over and be like, oh yes, like I can actually help teach these kids too. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how it happened, but um, cool. I always admired that path of work, actually. Yeah. Totally. No, I, I'm, I come from a family of teachers. And so anytime, you know, even, you know, just quote unquote teaching, uh, you know, kids that are, uh, you know, the, uh, <laughs> for lack of a better term, like, you know, quote unquote normal, it's like, that is such a, you know, uh, an enriching per- profession and obviously doesn't get the credit that it deserves. Yeah. Yeah. Before I like decided, you know, well, I mean, I don't know if you're going, if you're going there at all, but I dabbled in like, you know, teaching myself for a little while and found out I fucking hated it. And I hated dealing with kids and I thought it was like the worst thing ever. So that, you know, more power to anyone who, who enjoys that and finds passion in it. Right. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. No, we'll get there. I appreciate that. (laughs) That That was a little sneak peek. I like it. Um, and so, you know, as you, and how many years elder is your brother? And I, oh shoot, I, uh, I did not even mean to say elder there. That's, uh, that's yeah. sorry. That was so bad. I apologize. <laughs> no, it's a good point. It's a good one. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's, uh, a year and a half older than me. Oh, okay. So you guys, uh, so I always thought, you know, around. in school was always like, you know, he's, he's two years older than me. He's two grades above me or whatever, but no, he's actually pretty close to my age. 
Sure. And did you guys kind of have a sort of like a typical love hate brother relationship or are you guys pretty tight? Oh yeah. No, I mean, we, we definitely had a love hate relationship for most of our childhood. Um, and some weird rivalries and shit. But at the end of the day, we were always friends and shared friends and ended up getting really close um, as we got into our like later teens. And yeah, no, we have a great relationship. Really, really close. Nice. Very cool. Um, and so, you know, as you started to kind of develop, you know, who you were as a person, you know, junior high, high school and stuff like that, you know, what kind of kid were you? Were you, you know, attracted to sports, you know, art? Um, I mean, like you said, you kind of, you know, uh, had some sort of uh, vision of teaching just because of, of what your mom did. Um, so what kind of kid were you? I was like, I, w- I was kind of a class clown kid for a while, like kind of weird, used to do shit just for just for weird looks, you know, like I remember in junior high cutting my hair into a mullet and wearing sweatpants to school every day for like, you know, a month. <laughs> right. Um, I don't know what the hell inspired me. to. Uh, but my, I, you know, I, I always got a kick out of just kind of getting some weird attention at that age. But when, when I got a little older, maybe I was like 13 or 14, I, um, got interested in music for the first time. And that just kind of determined the rest of the course of my teenage years, that was really my only passion. And the only thing that I dove into, I was never interested in sports, um, never really good at the visual arts, although I did like, and always want to get better at stuff like drawing and painting, never really clicked. Um, it was always just music first listening to it. And then I really wanted to play an instrument, got into the school band, but you know, that sucks obviously. So I, you know, begged my parents, uh, to give me uh, to get me a drum set, which I got a shitty, you know, used drum set for Christmas one year. And from then it just became, you know, collecting instruments and wanting to play everything. And that was, yeah, no, that was the only thing I really spent my time on, um, sure. from, from then on pretty much. Nice. Nice. Um, and so, you know, as you were kind of, you know, introduced to music, you know, I'm going to guess that like, you know, whatever, just kind of (laughs) looking at, uh, you know, what you've described to me about your parents, you might not have come from a musical family per se. Um, and so a lot of this, uh, sort of musical discovery you were doing on your own. Yeah, no, uh, my parents didn't like, I always, I kind of begrudged them for a while when I got into music because I didn't get like the cool record collection. I didn't get, you know, like I, I didn't get really introduced to a lot of stuff that I, that it took me a while to find through other channels. Um, and as like, maybe as a result of that, you know, like the only thing I would hear in my household growing up is like tears for fears or like, uh, who is actually cool in retrospect sure. or like Steely Dan, you know, bands that I like, but it's very much like this kind of yacht rock or like, you know, just like easy listening music that you might just hear back in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but you weren't, yeah, you, but, and were you, was your brother getting into music? Like, you know, was he kind of showing you stuff and you guys bouncing things back and forth with one another? Yeah, somehow he got into like punk rock and that was like, you know, he brought that to me, of course. We'd listen to CDs together and that's what got me into it. Um, that was the first music that I, I discovered to really like other than like Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> yeah, dude, I'm so glad I love because for whatever reason, especially boys, like, you know, when you're combining sort of music and humor, like, you know, that sweet spot between ages of like, you know, eight and 14 it's like, it's like catnip. <laughs> just, oh man. Yeah. <laughs> you just love that. That was, 
I do too. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't say I actively listen to him, but I definitely do respect Weird Al. And <laughs> yeah. if we want to talk about first first artist that we got into, that he was probably the first one, I probably the first CD I ever bought, you know? Ooh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, and, it, and especially too, because like, at, you know, at that time he was, uh, you know, lampooning such, you know, huge songs and you were like, well, this is still the song that I like, but it's just so funny and it's, it's almost even better than the original. Yeah. That was like when the radio was so huge too, you couldn't help but know like, oh my God, he's doing, you know, like fucking Amish paradise or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then it became just a, well, we don't need to spend too much time on weird Al, but yeah, yeah. good, uh, Respect. good humor right there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, and so when your brother was uh, kind of bringing home the, the punk stuff, what was he kind of bringing home? Was it like this sort of, you know, rancid green day offspring stuff or was it, uh, you know, it was like- exactly that. Okay. That great. was like the, yeah, there's like this Bay area lookout records, operation Ivy, that kind of stuff, like the ska punk stuff at first. And, um, that was, ex- yeah, pretty much just that. Um, nice. And I don't know, we got into like this shitty, really, you know, dabbled with kind of ska punk and pop punk and all this stuff. And then, you know, being New England that morphed into hardcore and, uh, from there just, you know, kept expanding. Oh, here's, you know, metal, here's classic rock. Here's all sorts of different genres, but, uh, just like the, the primitive, you know, four chord, punk song that really works with the pubescent mind i think yeah totally and the you know the angst of it and the anger and the fact that it obviously doesn't mimic anything that my parents are listening to it's like it hits a sweet spot yeah yeah i just like you know perfect for like the kid in the suburban town too who's just like bored of where he is and like at that age you probably hate your parents for one reason or another it's uh totally yeah it's like shooting fish in a barrel (laughs) yeah exactly so no that was perfect for us and I'm glad you mentioned, you know, the, the, the sort of, uh, transition points of like, okay, I get into this, I get into this. And, you know, that whole, the, you know, the new Bedford, Massachusetts area was so fertile for, uh, you know, hardcore from, you know, cave in converge and, you know, many, many other bands. Um, when did you kind of get, uh, I guess like going to shows and stuff like that and starting to experience the, you know, the VFW hall, like, you know, that sort of, uh, you know, DIY scene as it were. Um, yeah, what's I mean, at that point there was like that was everywhere. There were shows every weekend and there's a really good local scene. Um I don't mean that the bands were necessarily good, but like there are a lot of people just, you know, putting on shows and and doing something for each other, which was super cool in retrospect. I think probably I started going to those shows when I was oh, I don't know, maybe 14, 13, 14, 15. Hard to say, you know. I yeah, think that was again, area. you know, I'd I'd go with my older brother and I I'd, I imagine it must have been around the time that, you know, getting dropped off by our parents or, you know, begging someone to take us. Uh, yeah, pretty early. And that went on for a good, good, good many years, I'd say. One of the only things that is keeping me sane right now is music and band merch and puzzles. And when you put all of those things together, you get rockabilia.com. Rockabilia is the place where you can order all of your stuff and use this code PC100Words. And that will get you 15% off your order. It's one of the most legit companies in regards to music merchandise I have ever seen. Independently owned and operated. And they need your support now more than ever. And frankly, so do the bands. And what makes it even cooler when you order through Rockabilia, all of this stuff is officially licensed 
and royalties get paid out. Everything is on the up and up. It's not some horrific bootleg that you're going to buy off of Amazon or eBay or whatever. None of that. They offer so many different items. And like I said, puzzles. They have puzzles. And I have been finding major solace in puzzles recently just because it takes my mind off all of the chaos that's happening in the outside world. So please use the code PC100Words. That shows the support of the show and it gets you 15% off. And you're supporting all the bands that you like and you're supporting an independent company. Like just what what a what a great trifecta that is, okay? So go visit rockabilia.com, find your new favorite stuff and order from them today, okay? Now on with the show. And did you uh do you remember any of those uh bands that kind of stood out to you that cuz like you said you started to um you know really uh, I I like the fact that you were dabbling with, you know, more than one instrument cuz you know usually kids kind of like all right, I'm going to be the drummer here. This, this is the, I'm, I'm the drummer or like, I'm going to be the guitarist, but like you were kind of putting this all together and then also experiencing the DIY, you know, like 200 people at a show or whatever, right in front of you. Um, what were some of those bands that you kind of saw that were like, Oh, I actually want to like play in a band. Uh, you know, that's a good question. Back then there were a lot of bands that would just exist. Like the, the local scene was pretty incestuous and everyone was starting a band, you know, and then calling it quits the next week and starting another band with like the same people, different genres. And I was doing the same thing at a certain point, but I think like at that point, the, the legends around the scene, there was a band called smack and Isaiah. Oh yeah. uh, (laughs) Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was a a Wilhelm scream, right? Exactly. It went on to become a Wilhelm scream. Um, and who were the other fucking big bands at that point? There were some hardcore bands that were pretty legendary. Mm -hmm. Um, I think have heart started sometime around then sure. and they blew up pretty quickly too. Uh, X files was a local band that was like really fast and brutal and pretty cool. Dude. X files X love them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and the, but I, I can't say there's anything that like, there was no like local band that I, I loved. I think there was some band that was, that was playing some sort of like metal core or something I was probably into a lot, but um, no, it's just the energy of going to shows and playing live. I was like, I got hooked on it. Like, and you know, the adrenaline of like, Oh, wanting to play a show myself. What would it be like if I was up there playing for these people? And that kind of fed into me, you know, like wanting to get bands together myself and start playing music myself so that I could do that. The VFW hall truly was my entry into the world of <laughs> live music. Yeah, no, it's right. Ra- I, I love that because it's, um, you know, I mean, that's, uh, I don't care sort of what style of music a person plays. Like when you have that sort of foundational aspect of the DIY, you know, people, you know, kids putting on shows for kids and uh, it's so, um, you know, it informs all of the decisions that you make, like, you know, that that's kind of your root. And like, I mean, even to the point where, you know, looking at where you sit with, you know, uh, working with, you know, Armageddon shop, it's like, there are many different paths for bands that sound like what you are doing that, you know, you'd be working with, you know, some whatever huge metal label, but it's just like, Oh no, like this, this makes sense. These are friends working together. And like, I can't help but make the connection between your experience with that and what you're doing currently. That's, that's cool. I think you're the first like interviewer who's made that connection on is on, even though it's not a, it's not yeah, far fetched of course, but a lot of people are like, what is this label? Armageddon <laughs> shop. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's like, wait, they're, they're a record shop, but they put out records. Like, I don't understand this. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it is kind of confusing or, but, um, yeah, no, that's, a, I mean, that's definitely kind of, I, we're not a DIY band by any, by any means anymore, but it's definitely some, you know, buried deep in the ethos and there's, it, it definitely informs all of the decisions we make. 
for, yeah. on some level. Yeah. Oh no, totally. I, I completely get that. Um, and so as you were kind of like getting, you know, you and your brother were going to these shows and stuff like that, um, kind of a two part question. Uh, how did your parents kind of react to this weird stuff that you were doing? Even, you know, whatever connecting you having a mullet and wearing sweatpants and stuff like, like <laughs> I'm sure your parents were just like, what the hell is Nick doing? Um, and then I guess the second part of it was, um, the, uh, you know, the idea of you, um, figuring out how to, uh, you know, put a band together and like, you know, those sort of first band experiences. They were cool. I mean, my parents, like they didn't, they didn't come from like a musical background and they weren't really into this stuff, but they, they always supported us. I think at first it was one of these, ah, yeah, it's a phase, you know, like that they're into this punk rock thing. It's a phase. And they kind of like were correct about a lot of that, but eventually it became clear that like, oh no, like the, just the kids, the, the, the kids are, you know, in the, in the basement banging away and making music, like still, uh, I guess that's just their thing. And they were always cool and supportive and, never tried to push us any direction or, or anything like that. Um, but I would say it's kind of like a hands-off approach to just like, yeah, you know, like whatever you want to do, you want to go to a show, like that's fine. Just took us a long time. It took me, I think a long time, uh, to convince them to take me to my first big show when I was, what the hell was that? 14, 15, maybe I really wanted to go see, <laughs> you're going to laugh, Manowar and Rhapsody. Oh. At the fucking, <laughs> oh, dude, that's sick. Yeah, yeah, love it. Yeah, that was like the first time I convinced them to take us to a big show. You know, the VFW Hall thing that was fine, but like, I don't know if you want to, you know, send the kids into the mosh pit or whatever. Yep. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> that's so funny. Um, did you play in bands with your brothers or or your brother? Sorry, or did you guys kind of like you know do your own thing from that perspective? No, that was always like the point of sibling rivalry. Like we always had our own bands and our, you know, like we were always kind of com- competing or doing stuff that's just different enough, you know. That's fu- uh, that's that's yeah. so funny. He was like, "No, my band's a little bit better than your band because, uh, yeah, you were we're harder or heavier or faster or whatever." Yeah, for sure. That was definitely part of it. Sure. <laughs> did you uh, did you care about school? Like, you know, were you getting like okay grades, uh, or did you just basically once music kind of took you, it was like, well, whatever. I just want to do this. Yeah, I can't really say I cared. I mean, I I cared about school in in as far as like you know, I knew it was important. I tried hard and I got good grades, and it, it was never really, it wasn't really that difficult either the school district was fine. Um, but I didn't like, you know, I still, I still lived in a house with two parents who were very much like, did you do your homework? Okay. Do your homework before you like, you know, play outside or play music or play video games or whatever. So yeah, of course. I mean, I really did have a pretty boring, stable suburban upbringing with all the perks. Sure. Right. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Right. Like we'll leave you to your own devices as long as you're bringing home like bees, then you're okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was fine. And like, you know, my, my mom was a teacher. My parents are like pretty educated people and, uh, they made, they made sure to impart that to us too, that, that it's important to, you know, take education seriously. And so we always did, even if you didn't, even if it wasn't fun. Yeah, no, totally. That makes sense. The idea of, um, you know, once you started to, you know, put together bands and play in bands and stuff like that, um, I, I have to ask, cause I always find it really, really funny and informative. Uh, what was your first, like, you know, band name where you started to like, you know, play out to shows and stuff like that. And I'll bet you with attached to the band name, I could be able to identify what you sounded like. <laughs> well, I can tell you the first, the, the first band that played a show. Okay. Um, hmm. I think that must've been, uh, the midwinter drive. 
Ooh, that that that's that sounds kind of like uh, you know Midwestern emo, but it probably wasn't. I mean, not Midwestern, but it definitely had some kind of emo. I think it was more like what you call screamo. Oh, sure, like Orchid, that sort of stuff. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, um, love it, love and that's, it. But that's not the. I got to say, it's not the first band that made recordings because a four track recorder did follow closely on the heels of of the drum kit and the and this Stryer squat. Uh, the <laughs> sure the Squire Strat. Sorry, and that band was called the Stealing Popes. Oh, wow, I can't. Oh man, that's tough. I I don't think I can identify that sound. Partic- I mean, you know, it sounds punk adjacent, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, it was definitely definitely just really shitty. You know, four chord punk rock. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good. That's good. Um, and so you know, a- as you were uh, you know playing out and starting to experience these shows, it did uh, I guess the energy and adrenaline uh, did that uh, did it meet your expectations or was it like even better than you anticipated? I think it was, um, I think it often, I I think it wasn't always better than you anticipated. There's definitely adrenaline in playing music, but like when you're playing in shitty bands and the music isn't very good and you're not very good at playing music either. And the audience is kind of like, you know, maybe half interested, uh, it can, it can fall short, but definitely it was always fun. The whole experience, you know? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And as you started to transition into, you know, uh, college and kind of figuring out what your uh, life looked like from a career perspective. Like you said, you kind of dabbled in teaching and stuff like that. Um, but I, I'm going to guess like, you know, the idea of playing music as a career was not something that you could even sort of wrap your head around. Right. No, not, I mean, not doing what we're doing now. It's always, as long as we've been playing an elder, at least for the first uh, up until the war, the outlook was very much like, yeah, like, you know, this band is great. We love doing this. It's, but it's, you know, we're never going to get, we're never going to make it off of this. This is never going to be a full-time thing. Like as much as we'd love it to be just kind of like the self-defeating mentality, because it, it is hard to make it. It's, you know, it's not, it's not easy to make money with rock music. So no, that we, and you know, I, we, we all went to college, um, and most of us finished with some sort of degree and the thought was always, yeah, you know, keep doing music when we can, but like, probably it's going to, you know, be a hobby. And like one day, what, you know, like who knows how long this will last. It was never like, uh, I would have never imagined it would have the longevity, uh, to the point where now I'm doing an interview about the band, you know, like 13 (laughs) years later. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. You're like, this doesn't make any sense. Uh, Yeah. What would you get your uh, degree in and where did you go to college? I went to like three different colleges and ended up at the University of Massachusetts in Amherst mm. uh, and with a degree in German and Scandinavian studies. What that is extremely specific, Nick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I presume the only path with that would be, you know, some sort of, a, a, you know, professor uh, research type of job. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, pretty much. I think like I was hoping that I might be able to get into translation or something like that, but it was never really like, I never, I always hated academia from the minute I got to college. I started off at, at, uh, at art school and found that unfulfilling. I started doing general stuff. I had already had some experiences in Germany and I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to study German. That's going to be easy enough. I can speak the language and like, I'll just get this degree. And then then that's it, you know, mm-hmm. then I'll figure it out. But, um, yeah, no, it's pretty, pretty useless for all intents and purposes. Pretty useless. <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, 
And how did you, you just mentioned that, but how, how did you learn German? Was that just something you did as, uh, you know, instead of Spanish, you took German in high school or you just learned um, it on your own? No, I was, I was an exchange student in Germany after I finished high school. Um, I got like really involved in, uh, this is like super nerdy, but I got really involved in the, the foreign exchange club at our high school. Okay. You know, we'd have like exchange students come and I really thought like, I think it was because I moved around a lot as a kid. I was really interested in, in travel and I became really interested in the foreign exchange students we'd have and became friends with them and started getting involved in the local organization that would, would be like, uh, you know, helping bring kids over and stuff. And, uh, I like became kind of obsessed with the idea of becoming a foreign exchange student myself. And I really, really wanted to go to Europe. Um, so much so that by the end of my high school years, uh, I couldn't convince my parents to get into it because it costs money. Um, but I ended up applying for a scholarship to do a, like an additional year of high school after graduation, um, funded by the U S government. And I ended up getting it too. So wow, it was kind of perfect timing. I didn't know. I mean, I don't know how competitive or how like amazing that really was. Not that many Americans <laughs> want to be exchange students actually. So. Yeah. Hey, let me, let me do more school in a foreign land. <laughs> yeah. 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 But like, I just, you know, I finished high school. I had no fucking idea what I wanted to, to do if I wanted to go to college or what. So, uh, and I really did want to travel and see something different before. I always find it very weird that kids are so pushed, you know, if they have the means to go straight into college after high school, I always found it just, uh, weird that you don't have a little time to find yourself. Sure. So I ended up doing that and that was pretty cool. I still stayed there for a year. And when I came back, of course I had, I had no more of an idea what I wanted to do with myself, you know, career wise than when I left. Sure. But, but you, I could but you knew German, German. right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, I was able to build an actual skill. <laughs> right. Yeah. That was, that was, it was pretty funny, but that's basically what it amounted to. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Um, and it's interesting because, you know, usually I, I'm going to guess your, your band experiences, um, you know, you were probably, you know, doing like local gigs and maybe some like small tours, uh, you know, up, up the new England area, but you weren't doing any extensive touring by that point. Right. No, no. I mean, by that point we local shows. Yeah. Like really local shows, right. maybe Providence or Boston or something like that. But it wasn't until I returned from that and we were all, in Boston, um, cause we all started going to college there and we got a practice space and kept the band going. And then, you know, then we started planning more tours and stuff, but no, I don't think, I mean, we were just like, we were three friends from high school who started the band as we were exiting and then continued on while we were all going to college. There was really limited time to do this shit. If we were going to go on tour or play shows, it really had to, you know, line up with everyone else's schedules. Sure. Yeah. Spring break, was, winter break. Yeah. Yeah. Summer. Yeah. It was all just, it was all just a hobby, you know, just to fucking still just, Oh, Hey, Hey, we're still doing this band that we started like when <laughs> we were eight, like 17, 18. All right, cool. Like, but nothing serious. Right, right. It's it's cool because you had the experience of, uh, you know, collecting travels under your belt in a different way. Because, you know, whatever, punk and hardcore bands and that sort of stuff, you know, they're able to start touring, whatever, 16, 17, and kind of get out there, you know, during those breaks or what have you. But you still got the experience of, um, you know, gaining a perspective of what other cultures look like and what, how other people live their lives. Um, because I think that's, you know, a really important aspect of, uh, young people's lives from a uh, touring perspective and frankly, you know, just making you a more well-rounded person. It's cool that you were getting that from a different, um, 
a, a different way than, you know, maybe just your, your sort of typical, like, Oh, I played in a band and, you know, we toured and did that sort of stuff. And, you know, there was no like end game. It was just like, we were just collecting these experiences. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, it's, it was, I laugh and say like, Oh, I learned German. That was it. Of course it was like, of course it changed my life. It changed the entire course of what I did with my life um, outside of the band and to a degree with the band too. It's hugely important. And not, I mean, not just for that, but also like, you know, I was, I, I went to some, I went to festivals. I went to Roadburn for the first time. I, um, I went to go see a bunch of shows and a bunch of bands that I only dreamed about seeing, uh, because they were, you know, I was in Europe and there were European bands that I could never see in the States before. It was just like, it exposed me to a whole nother world of music and festivals and shows and scenes and stuff like that. It was, uh, hugely, hugely influential. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You were cool. Yeah. That, that's very true. Especially, as you were seeing these other, you know, there, there could not be a more stark difference than, uh, you know, bands touring Europe versus bands touring America. And just like, you know, the different how massive the festivals are over in Europe versus how they are over here. Um, and so, yeah, for you to have those dual experiences and kind of being able to add that up, you're like, oh, yes, I noticed the differences between these two. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Definitely. Um and uh, like you said, as you you guys were all you know matriculating through college and you know playing as much as you could around the limitations that you had, um, still you know what I have recognized about Elder and kind of you know whether this is an intentional or unintentional, the kind of uh, interesting mystique that lies around the band is because to me, you guys make yourself, uh, scarce on purpose where, and I don't say scarce, like you don't work hard because clearly you do and you get out there and tour and play shows when you can, but it's not like you are, um, you know, 300 shows in a year, like some bands do. Um, and I presume a lot of it is, uh, you know, a choice based on like schedules and everything else that everybody has going on. Um, or is it a deliberate choice where it's like, yeah, we don't want to be that band that has played, uh, Omaha, Nebraska four times within a year or whatever, Just, you know, picking a random city or whatever, but you know, yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying? No, one, no one really wants to play Omaha. Let's be honest, but <laughs> Hey, there was a, there was a great venue there for a while called the ranch bowl. And I played there a couple of times and it was uh, you got free bowling. So yeah. <laughs> oh shit. That's I, I take it back. No, but it, but it, it's, I understand. I, I always pick on Omaha. I don't know. I don't know why. I say I'm uh, yeah. I'm just kidding. I mean, I've I never, know. I've never been there, but yeah. Res- respect yeah, to d- Omaha. Yeah. For sure. Sorry, Omaha listeners. Um, the, the, part of it was honestly, um, we had some tour experience in the States when we were just starting out self booking stuff. And it was really, it was pretty shitty. I mean, as to be expected, you're just starting to tour, starting to make your own name. You're not going to have a great following, but we uh, had our first European tour in 2013, I think it was. And that experience of just being like, holy shit, you know, like you, like you said, it, the touring band experience in Europe is just completely different. And, uh, we, we came back and we were like, I think I was halfway through booking another tour and I just, you know, I canceled all the shows. I was like, you know, what? we're not going to do this shit anymore until there's a reason to, because Europe was just for us, it was immediately like, this is where it's at. There's people there who want to hear us. There's, there's like, we have an audience that's like, you know, three times the size of in the States, and, um, yeah, we're just good. And the whole self booking thing, I was just like, you know what, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it right. I want someone to like take care of the tours and make sure that like, we're not, you know, playing in biker bars and strip clubs and shit like that. <laughs> um, sure. 
Yeah. yeah. So basically it was, it was pretty much just like the first European tour that ruined touring in the States for me for a while until, until it became like, I don't know. Feasible. Yeah. Yeah. Feasible really just like, you know, it's no, we didn't want to be burning our own personal money, you know, driving around and trying to, I guess, I guess that sounds like selfish or privileged or whatever, but it just didn't, it didn't make sense for us. There was already, so we kind of made Europe the, the main focus for a little while. Right. And by, by the time that we had been, you know, kind of being more active over there, actually there did become like some interest in us in the States. And uh, so I guess that's part of the scarcity of it. Just like we've never been the kind of band to just hit the road and tour, uh, you know, until we've got no tread left on the tires, just because like, we like to play shows, but you got to make sense. You got, it's got to make sense. You know, you're not going to drive across the country, uh, to play a show where there's only 30 people. Well, I mean, and to your point too, you're, uh, you know, you're older, you're in your twenties. Um, as opposed to, you know, when you're 17 or 18 years old, that doesn't matter. You know, like you, you can do that. Very, yeah, yeah, very, very, very true. Yeah, totally. Right. Yeah, I, but, I guess it, we did that, and at first it was fun. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you're playing to no one. That, but you know, after there's only so many times that you can spend your own money to go on tour. And, yeah, and then <laughs> diminishing then it returns. Becomes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. No, totally. Because you, you, when it comes to the point where. Uh, I, I remember what I felt, uh, cause I mean, sang and played in hardcore bands for quite some time and toured. I remember the moment where we felt like we were successful was when it was like, we didn't have to put our own money into the gas tank. And like, then all yeah. of a sudden we started to get like, you know, per diems where we could take $10 a day out of our cash box. And it was like, holy crap, we have made it. Yeah. <laughs> And it's like, oh, that's, that's yeah. so true. But then, but it, you know, in the grand scheme, you're just like, no, like, because you'll come home with absolutely nothing unless you're saving your $10 a day, which is ridiculous. Yeah, totally. Um, and yeah, but it, I mean, we just decided to put all kind of all our eggs in one basket at that point and just be like, no, we're going to tour Europe as much as we can, because that's where like we came back with. Oh my God, we toured Europe and I think we came back with a plus of like a thousand dollars or something, you know, like we had, we had earned money on a tour and, (laughs) and we'd had fun and we had traveled in different countries and been fed and, you know, every night and given a place to sleep. That was like, Oh, this makes sense. You know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're like, Hey, let's, let's do that like four times a year. And rather than, you know, eat, eat, eat crap for, (laughs) for three months in the States and, you know, have, have people, yeah, obviously not take care of us because Europe is a whole different ball game. But even here, I mean, we're trying to make ourselves a little more scarce sometimes just because, you know, people only eat when they're hungry and there's only so many times that you can go on tour and it's, it's better to, it's better to play once a year, some city and have, you know, many more people come than if you're going to play there three times a year and just really certain point, it's like, ah, this band again. And I get that because that's the way I am. I'm not going to come see the same band, you know, twice in the same year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no, for sure. I mean, I think that that comes, I mean, now because the music business is more evolved than it was in the, you know, whatever mid to late nineties, it was like that, you know, the words overplaying did not exist until really like early two thousands, you know, early to mid two thousands or whatever. It was like, yeah, you just played every show possible. Like you played like seven times a month locally. It didn't matter. But then now it's like, Oh no, you don't need to do that. It's like, you're killing yourself. 
Yeah, that's it's. I wondered if it was just like a coming of age thing where you realize that's that's what you can do, or if it's just it came with the onset of the internet where all of a sudden it was like really easy for bands to self book their own tours, and you could really co- go tour as much as you wanted to as long as there was a you know a place that was willing to have you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, very true. Um, and it kind of you know transitioning into that idea of where you started to have to mix uh you know the band and the art versus uh commerce and you know dealing with the music business and stuff like that and uh you know by the choices that the band has made you know i, I definitely think that you have a um uh, and i don't mean this in a bad way uh, like uh, skepticism over you know i guess the music business uh, at large and maybe that's just me reading too much into it where you know you've done what you have felt comfortable with. Um, but you are not actively being like, Oh yes. Like, you know, we, we want to, you know, like we can't wait to become the next Baroness or whatever, which I'm sure people have <laughs> said about you guys in the past. Um, yeah. you know, and, and, yeah, and, and, totally. and clearly Baroness like is a completely credible band. Like there's no shots against what they've done. Cause I love that band too. But, um, you know, so how, how's your relationship been with kind of the music business? Was it weird when you started to have to deal with like money in a real way and stuff like that? Um, no, well, I'll preface this by saying like a big, I spent a big chunk of my time, uh, arguing with my friends as a teenager over which bands were posers and which bands were sellouts and which, (laughs) you know, which bands had kept true. This was just like something that for some reason we were really, you know, as stupid teenagers do like really occupied with because you don't understand how anything works. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But nonetheless, this idea of like integrity as an artist always really stuck with me and has been kind of the the backbone of every decision that we make on a business side. And as we've always said, as long as we're doing things on our terms and doing things the way we think are equitable and you know honorable or whatever, there's no shame in making money. It's great if we can and, and there are there are bands and there are labels and there are great examples of artists who do things their own way without having to suck up or sell out and they can still reach a modicum of success. And that was always kind of like the greatest goal for us. Sure, sure. Yeah. I mean and it's funny. Uh, no, no shame on major no, no, label no. support or anything like that. You know what I'm saying though. No, Just for, I, I, for us, the solution was not there really. Right. Right. Well, and it, you know, the idea of, you know, selling out being pure, like uh, clearly that, you know, is, uh, an idea that is far less important now than it was, you know, five, 10, 15 years ago. Like there, you know, bands got murdered when their song would appear in like a commercial or whatever, you know? And it's like, now that's what bands like you know, bands start to, to strive for that goal, you know, and no one yeah. bats an eye at it for the most part, you know? Um, yeah, 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 but but the idea that you know you have made these kind of deliberate choices to um, you know uh, surround yourself like whatever in working with Armageddon Shop and you know like you said kind of enlisting the help of you know booking agents like people you clearly trust um, you know is a choice that you have really kind of nailed down for the band and it it, it informs all the decisions you make in the future. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's I mean. The sellout, like there's no, there's no knock on bands wanting to be successful and no, like there's no, yeah, I understand too. I'd love to make a lot of money from playing music because then I could actually play, play music for a living. Um, but you know, not if it means, (laughs) not if it means having your music in like a shell oil commercial or something like that, or not if it means that you have to do like, 
make a fucking ridiculous social media campaign. I mean, it's just, it, it, you can tell when a band is in it for the money, they're just trying to get big. And that still rubs me the wrong way, but you know, people, people respect to, I hate saying this phrase, but people respect the hustle a lot in a different way nowadays than I think they probably did in the nineties. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, I definitely think so. Um, and, and as you started to, uh, I guess like tour and start to experience what that touring was like, not only in Europe, but you know, in the States as well, once you guys started to do that a little more actively, um, you know, what's your relationship like with touring? I mean, clearly that was always a a passion of yours of, you know, traveling, experiencing different cultures and stuff. But, uh, the experience of, of touring, it, you know, can sometimes have, uh, it's pros and cons like everything else in life. Um, how, how has that, uh, I, I guess relationship evolved with, uh, touring for you? Um, we, when we started having properly put together tours, like the first European tours and then the first, you know, well done U S tours, that was like, still the, the, the most fun thing I could possibly imagine, just like a constant, you know, constant state of euphoria and just kind of like, Oh, I can't believe this is what we're doing. This is so cool. And especially if you're not spending your own money, it becomes doubly cool. Uh, to the point where, you know, after, after lore, I think we reached a high peak where one year or well, a year period after the album was released, we probably played, you know, like over 200 shows or something, which I, I know there are plenty of bands that do more than that, but we were just like caught up and, you know, just partying every night and doing the absolute worst things for our bodies and um, for really prolonged periods of time and just got super burnt out. Um, at least I got pretty burnt out after that cycle where I came home from like a two month tour and was just like, uh, had like, it had like ruined a, a relationship. It had like affected a lot of other shit. Like my, I looked like shit. I felt like shit. And I was just like, ah, it's time to maybe like take this a little easier. Right. Um, that just speaks to like, you know, being a, being a dumb, like 20 something, uh, on tour more than anything else. Uh, but Needless to say, like over the years, yeah, it's become less about the like just the, the pure like joy and partying, like and more of like a serious endeavor. And part of that goes hand in hand with becoming a more serious band, getting a little older and just wanting to really play great shows all the time and uh, making that the main focal point of everything. But it's definitely a love hate thing at this point. You know, like I don't there's a lot of things I don't love about being on tour, but, um, it's definitely an itch that needs scratched like a couple times a year. Like I, I still really live for playing live music, even with all the bullshit that comes along with it. Sure. Sure. Um, two last things I wanted to hit you on before I let you go. Um, you know, clearly you have probably had discussions with, uh, you know, other labels and other sort of, uh, you know, opportunities for the band. Um, and you, you know, have either decided for or against them. Uh, I mean, especially from the label perspective, because you know, I, I, I know for a fact that multiple labels have kind of talked to you guys to, you know, uh, to like work with them and you know take the next step up, whether it's like you know Metal Blade or Relapse or anything like that. Um, so I, I guess kind of. W- why have you decided to, I guess, like not uh, partner up with them beyond just the everything that we were kind of like talking about in the past where, you know, Armageddon Chop is your friends and, you know, like clearly the support system is there from that perspective. But, um, you know, I guess why have you not, uh, you know, gone down that road that, you know, so many other bands have gone before? I, uh, 
and I know it's a tough question. I, I'm not asking like to, you know, like I, the only reason I call out those sort of labels is because like those are kind of the obvious neck, quote unquote, obvious. And I'm using air quotes because you can't see me. <laughs> obvious next step for yeah. a band like you guys, um, you know, sonically, it would be like, oh, yes, of course. Like, you know, they, they would put out a few records on this, you know, smaller label and then take the next step up and then take the next step up. And, you know, that sort of like treadmill of the the music business, as it were. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, I, I mean, on some level, it is just wanting to to challenge the given way of things, and I don't, I don't necessarily think that you need to, especially with all of the powerful tools you have in front of you with a computer and an internet connection, um, and so many platforms to get seen and heard. I don't think you necessarily need a, a major label to give you that next step. It's more of a per- perceived uh, step up on a lot of levels than it is an actual step up, and. You know, like we again, just wanting to do things on our own terms. Um, I think, still naively, I do think that if you if you play music that's good, people will have an interest in it. And I'm not trying to toot my own horn and say we play great music, therefore people will hear it. But I I, I think people that somehow you know like people get that like it's 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 still cool to support the underdog in a certain way and. Um, if I feel this way, I'm assuming there are some people who feel this way too. Probably, probably 99% of people don't give a shit and don't ever think about what <laughs> what label a band's with, you know. Sure, sure. It's just the music nerd in me, and you know, I also I work for a small label myself, and that's been really super like informative and just kind of solidifying my views and how important it is to like have your own identity and have your own path and you know, just do things your way. Yeah. That being said, you know, like maybe any of those labels you mentioned would really provide us a, a crazy step in some other direction. But like, uh, I, I just don't, I don't know. I don't see it. I'm stubborn still. I'm still, you know, I still got that. <laughs> still got the, the heart of that, uh, dumb teenage punk rock wannabe in me somewhere. Yeah. No, I, I, I I do. I mean, I completely empathize and understand where you're coming from, where the idea of like, you know, taking, uh, even though this, uh, you know, this particular passage isn't exactly, uh, you know, uh, the, the author's intention wasn't exactly like this, but the, you know, the road less traveled where it's like, okay, like we can go this way, uh, you know, and, and kind of do our own thing and kind of forge this own path because then, you know, maybe there are other bands that would, you know, take this opportunity and, um, you know, look at the, the, the mold that we have kind of created to be like, Oh yes, you can be, you know, successful in this other, um, you know, this other ecosystem that is, you know, maybe a little bit separate from all of these other sort of typical structures that exist of like, Oh yes, point A to point B to point C or whatever. So I get that. Mm -hmm. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the, 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 the label, the role of the label has, you know, become less and less important as the years go on too. And, uh, I've, you know, everyone knows the story of the band that's gotten burned by the bigger label and, you know, even smaller labels, you hear about a lot of bad practices and a lot of unpaid bills and, you know, shit gets around. And of course that you, you talk to other bands and there's been nothing that I've heard so far that made me think uh, if we could just get on Virgin Records, you know, like then we're going to be like rich and respected. Right. <laughs> totally. totally. It's, then it turns into like the movie Airheads, you know, where it's just like, yeah. oh, oh, maybe we should just hold the radio station hostage and then we'll be big. It's like, what? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. No, guys, calm down. Um, and, and like you mentioned, because you work for, uh, was it, is it Stickman Records over in? Yep. Okay. Yep. When did you make the move, I guess, from like, how long have you lived there and how long have you worked for the label? 
Um, I've now been in Berlin for four years, and I started working there about three years ago. And, and did you and the, did you did you move specifically over there in hopes to work for them, or you moved over there and it was kind of like you know it, it all kind of led into that? No, that was completely unrelated. Um, we we started Stickman started putting out our records already with Lore in 2015 um, because we we met the um, it's a husband and wife operation, and I'm just like the third the third man in the in the in the business right now. Uh, and I met uh, Rolf, who's one of the two owners at a festival in Europe. And we really hit it off. I really loved a lot of the records that they had put out. Um, and they were also kind of a mysterious label. And we just hit it off on a, on a, on the same level that we did with Armageddon, you know, same ethics and, and all that. But, um, and, and so, yeah, we were already working together, uh, band and label. And then I moved over to Germany and, uh, after that, they asked me to, if I wanted to start working with them just because I was in need of a job and they were in need of an extra set of hands. It just kind of nice. serendipitous. Yeah, that's that's cool. And yeah. uh, so I presume that because it's such a small operation, you wear uh, 14 different hats like you're doing, um, you know, mail order one day, you're doing uh, customer service another day, and then you're doing like, you know, helping sign bands another day. Is that kind of <laughs> an accurate? Yeah, description? yeah, that's accurate, except for I would say they're the, the other two are probably wearing the 14 hats. Maybe I wear five of them or something. So okay. I still work from home and I do. And I spend a lot of time working on, on music and it's 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 a cool balance. You know, I'm away a lot. So. Um, the label is actually based in another city than Berlin. So they've got to deal with all the stock stuff, which is fun. I just get to, uh, have the rest of the computer work. Right. But yeah, you know, it's, you know, there's, there's definitely, you know, any number of fires that need put out or things that need done on any particular day. It's a, not a dull job. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Anytime you're working in a a small business that is uh, attached to music, it's like, oh yes, like you have to, you know, (laughs) you have to be a jack of all trades and master of none. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's how it feels. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and, uh, the last thing I want to hit on was the, uh, you know, the fact that th- this is the upcoming full length is your, is this your third LP or fourth LP? Apologies. I should obviously, this is kept... our fifth LP. Fifth actually. LP. Great. Perfect. Uh, this is why I'm a journalist. Oh wait, I'm not a journalist, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm sure the idea of being like, oh wow, this is our fifth LP. Like most bands, you know, can put out three records and then obviously kind of fizzle out either for, you know, lack of creative energy or, you know, the, the, the business aspect of it, just, you know, not being able to put this together. Um, and you are, you know, clearly a, uh, you know, kind of the, the, the leader as it were in regards to uh, a lot of the, you know, you come to the table with probably, you know, 70 to 80% of the music and stuff like that. And then, you know, bounce everything else off of everybody else. How, um, why do you still care about it? Because I mean, you're, you're, you know, you're at a point where, I mean, obviously the band is is still growing and stuff like that, but you're still very passionate about, um, you know, doing weird stuff underneath the idea of, uh, the band as far as, you know, the, whatever the, the golden silver EP you released and that sort of stuff. So is it the fact that you continually can craft different things or is it just the fact that you're like, no, I just still like playing in a band. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty much what it's, what it's about. You know, like I, um, uh, I, we had our first like serious line of change this past summer when our original, with the departure of our original drummer for many years. Um, but like the, the same thing is true for the first, you know, 12 years as it is from now that it's just always been about, you know, playing music with my best friends and spending time 
time together and, and having fun. And that's just like a deep relationship that I really would be lost without. And uh, aside from that, you know, playing music is fun. It's just the kind of, I I still love to just go to my band space and plug in my guitar and play loudly for an hour, you know, no particular reason. And I don't know what the hell else I would do with myself if I didn't make music. It's pretty much the only thing that I can do. <laughs> right. That and speak. It's almost like an, obs- yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like obsessive compulsive behavior, you know, right. There's nothing else, nothing else you can do. You can't help it. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. It's just like this, regardless of whether or not I'm in a band, like the, I will always be creating on this front. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's fun. Um, and I find, I find I'm, no, never more frustrated and unhappy than when I'm not making music and I'm never ha- more happy and relaxed than when I am, you know, t- t- at least trying to write something. It's just, yeah, songwriting in particular has always been very therapeutic and very satisfying. Sure. Sure. Yeah. That, that's your, uh, you know, that's your, your, your therapy, your coping mechanism, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, Nick, I could probably talk to you for another hour, but uh, I don't want to punish you. So um, <laughs> I, I really appreciate you doing this, dude. This was uh, enjoyable for me. No, it was really enjoyable for me, too. I appreciate having an interview that's more uh, shooting the shit and not discussing the same old shit over and over and over again. All righty. Thank you very much, Nick, for making that happen. And thank you very much to his publicist, Monica, who is a great human being. And she uh, <clears throat> was able to connect the dots and make this happen. Next week, I've got Justine Jones, the vocalist from Employed to Serve, and she also works at Holy Roar Records. I love Employed to Serve. Just a heavy band, really, really, really good at what they do, and I love Holy Roar Records as well. So when the idea of uh, having Justine on the show came up, I was like, oh my gosh, that's a great idea. Let's reach out to her, and boom, it happened. Um, So that's what we got next week, and like I always tell you, and I mean it so, so much, even more so now than ever, please be safe, everybody.